Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Normally I start each message by reading the entire text, but this morning what I'd like to do is I want to just kick things off by highlighting what I think is the key verse of our text, and then we'll kind of examine uh, verses 14 through 33 as we move through the message. But verses 20 and 21, I think, are kind of the key of this entire passage. When he says this, Paul is saying, my aim, my goal, my desire, my motivation My central mission, however you want to put it, is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. So that I will not build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. I know we just prayed a second ago, but let's commit this time to him now. Holy Spirit, speak to us from your word. Help us to spiritually feast upon what you have for us at this moment. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you. It's been kind of an interesting week for me. I've kind of had some, I had mountaintops and valleys all in the same week personally, okay? Um, And then this week in the news, it's kind of been like a, it's kind of been a historical week as well. Uh, Thursday we got word that uh, Queen Elizabeth II uh, passed away. Uh, there in England. And so for the first time in 70 years, England is seeing the throne pass to a new monarch. King Charles III took the throne or basically became the king as soon as, uh, as soon as Elizabeth drew her last breath. But I just want to stop and think about that for a minute. 70 years, 70 years, that's longer than most people live, right? But for 70 years, Queen Elizabeth sat on the throne of England and wore the crown as the Queen of England. There have been numerous articles, news clips chronicling her reign since she passed, and she was truly a remarkable woman. Um, She was also a queen who remarked often about her deep personal faith in Jesus Christ. The Reverend Billy Graham was able to go see her early on in his ministry and a little bit earlier in her reign as well. And Billy Graham remarked on the fact that he was impressed by how deep a faith that Queen Elizabeth actually had and how deep a relationship that we had, that he had, she had with Jesus Christ as well. One quote I saw going around this week was that I'd never heard her say before, I'd never heard attributed to her, was that one time she was asked by someone and she said, I really hope and pray that Jesus returns turns in my lifetime. And someone said, why is that? And she said, because I would love to personally lay my crown at his feet when he returns. I mean, that's, that is amazing. And that's someone who has the world at her fingertips, so to speak, really. You know, a good portion of the world at her, under her power, and she knows where the power really lies. Uh, she was a remarkable woman. There were scandal all through that. There was all kinds of different things, but overall, I'm just impressed with the life and the story of, of Queen Elizabeth. You have to look at the queen and marvel at the life that she lived. And then in a stark contrast to that, like I said, today marks the 21st anniversary of the terrorist attacks on, uh, on New York and on the Pentagon. 21 years ago, jihadists flew airplanes full of innocent people into buildings that were full of innocent people, and they snuffed out their own lives and snuffed out the lives of 2,977 innocent people as well. And they injured over 25,000 more. So what a stark contrast we see to someone who lived for 96 years and impacted the world in ways we probably haven't even seen the full results of. 
there. And then others who are willing to just cut their lives short and cut as many other people's lives short as they possibly can. And you look at that and you think, man, what a tragic and what a horrific waste. But it really sets up this nagging question that all of us are left trying to answer. At one point or another or many points in our lives, we're ask, we ask ourselves, what constitutes a life that is well lived? Maybe you've asked yourself in other ways before. You've looked back over the course of your life or you're looking at the trajectory of your life and you ask yourself, has it necessarily mapped out and gone the way I intended it to go? And you ask yourself, what is really the foundational elements of life. What is really important about life? You know, what's the difference between a wasted life and a life that's worthy or has worth? And that's the question that is based, that question is based in the desire to live a life that is fulfilling and has purpose and has meaning because the word of God tells us that no one lives and dies unto themselves. We all have an effect on this world that we live in. Now, you don't always have to make the headlines to make a difference. I find myself saying that at just about every funeral. We don't have to make the headlines to make a difference. We can make a difference one life at a time, or some people do end up making headlines. But what makes a life really fulfilling? What gives it purpose and what gives it meaning? Speaking of, of purpose and meaning, this week also marks something else very important. That is the return of NFL football, baby, right? NFL football season kicks off, actually kicked off Thursday, but kicks off today for me as a Bengals fan playing against my brother's favorite team, the Steelers. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the Bengals can continue their dominance over the Steelers, all right? He wore his hat just to, just to bother me today. All it does is make me pray for you more, all right? So, but some of you are super pumped about the fact that NFL football is back and others of you could care less. Whatever your position on football, let me ask you, have you ever heard the name Tom Brady? Everybody's pretty much heard the name Tom Brady, right? This guy, now this is a guy that gives guys like me real security issues, all right? Here's a guy who's 45 years old and is still one of the top quarterbacks in the entire planet. I mean, the guy, he just, I look at him and I'm like, I don't even know why I'm on the planet if other guys like this exist, right? He just, he just makes me think, what am, I, what am I doing with my life sometimes, right? He's one of the top quarterbacks in the world, has seven Super Bowl rings. He's won seven Super Bowl rings. That's, he's almost filled up two hands. I think that's actually what he's going for. He actually retired after the season this past year, and before preseason even began, he came out of retirement. Like, he couldn't stay away long, and you see these commercials that are out there kind of like poking fun at it. He's like, all I really needed was a vacation, right? I'm like, no, what you need to do is slow down and let the rest of us guys look good for once, okay? But rumors are starting to fly that he and his wife, who is a supermodel, Giselle Bunchen, are actually having marital issues over, his fa over the fact that he's planning to return to football, all right? You kind of have to look at him and think, you've accomplished more than any other football player ever has. You've played years beyond any other football player has ever been able to play. Their bodies and, and, and everything kind of just, they wore down. And he just has to keep going. He's already the greatest of all time, so no one else even comes close. So he, you have to ask, why do you keep on doing this? After he won his third Super Bowl back in 2005, he sat down with 60 Minutes and did an interview and the interviewer asked Brady, he said, this whole upward trajectory of your life and of your career, how can it get any better? And the interviewer says, what have you learned about yourself through this entire process? And what's funny is you're watching this video, I, I caught it on YouTube, but you see his face change from that, you know, that supermodel smile that he has. It kind of got real serious and he said, 
what have I learned about myself? He said, I don't know. He's like, why do I have three Super Bowl rings? Why am I, why have I had so much success and still think that there's something greater out there for me? Many people out there would say, hey man, this is what it's all about. You reached your goal, your dream, your life. I mean, you've got everything you could think about. And he's like, me? I think, God, there's, there's got to be more than this. What else is there for me? The interviewer looked at Brady and he said, well, what's the answer? And Brady smiled for a moment and then his smile faded away and he got real serious and he looked off in the distance and he said, I wish I knew. He stopped real long and he said, I really wish I knew. What's even more chilling about that is in that same interview, Brady was asked, what's your favorite Super Bowl ring that you've won? And he smiled and he said, my favorite Super Bowl ring that I've won is the next one. <laughs> Four next ones later. That was after he won his third. Four next ones later and he's still chasing another next one at 45 years old, even though at 27 he knew that it wasn't what really fulfilled him. He's still going after the next one because what will fulfill him will be the next one. And this is not just Tom Brady. This is what most of us do our whole lives. We never slow down to be fulfilled in what we already have. We never slow down to be fulfilled in what truly is meant to fulfill us. We're always looking after the next one. We're always chasing after the next one, holding out for what's better, holding out for what is to come. And while Tom Brady gives us a man that is still wishing that he knew what a life well lived is all about, the Apostle Paul in our text presents us with a man who already knows what it's all about. See, in our text today, we see Paul tell us what his life is about and what the central mission of his life is about. In verse number 20, he said, my aim, my goal, my purpose is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. So here Paul is going to pull the themes of the gospel that he has mentioned all the way back to Romans 1, all the way to the end of Romans chapter 16. He's going to pull all those themes of the gospel together and personalize them in his own life. And he's going to let the gospel basically be the reason and tell the world that the gospel is the reason he exists. It's the reason he has purpose, that his life had not actually begun until he came to Jesus Christ. The gospel enables and challenges us to live a life of eternal purpose and eternal significance. So for the Tom Brady's out there this world, and for the Tom Brady's that may be sitting in this room, or that are watching right now on, on Facebook, or listening to our podcast, here's the thing. You want to know what the next one is? That next one is the one, the only one, Jesus Christ. He's the only one. And the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us an eternal significance and an eternal purpose. Because rings and money and power and fame and all of that stuff is going to fade away real quick. All it takes is a recession and inflation to make that money not worth what it used to be worth. All it takes is a little bit of time to let all that silver and gold tarnish a little bit. But the gospel, the freedom, the forgiveness, the eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ, that's something that never fades that 10 million years from now, as we're singing the praise of God, we'll only just begun to understand the goodness of his, of his mercy. You may be saying that's great for Paul and that's great for preachers that he had this aim that he wanted to preach the gospel to those who had never heard it and that's great for him but I'm not personally called to be a missionary or I'm not personally called to be a pastor or a preacher but here's the deal. When Paul says the word preach here he's not talking about standing in a pulpit on a stage in a church building underneath a steeple somewhere. Matter of fact, Paul never preached in that scenario. 
Paul, I don't think, ever stood behind a pulpit. Paul was a man who moved and set churches up in houses and things. He never had a pulpit. He never had a grand stage, so to speak. But he preached the gospel to anyone who would hear it. He says, my aim is fueled by the gospel that changed my life, by a message that changed my purpose, by a hope that changed my perspective, by a promise that changes my desires, and by a mission that changes all of my plans. And church, this is the same gospel and should have the same effect on all of us today. It's not just for Paul, some super Christian, because Paul was just a man just like all of us. He was a human being just like all of us. Moses, a human being like all of us. David, a human being like all of us. Peter, all of the apostles, human beings like all of us that God used. And the Bible says he looked for the foolish ones to confound the wise. This is the same gospel that should have the same effect on us. And as I was studying the passage this week, it, was, it, it hit hard with me with five very challenging questions to determine whether I'm living a life that is on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ or whether I'm living a life that can be classified as well-lived. Because here's what the Bible tells us one day. God's going to have the final say and he's going to give the final analysis of our life and whether it was well-lived or not. And there's one phrase that we all hope to hear when we stand before our Savior and our Creator is enter in, good and faithful servant, well done. Here's how we get there. We got to deal and wrestle with these questions that Paul presents us with in chapter 15 that he had to work out himself. The first question is this. Am I engaged in a personal ministry purpose? Am I personally engaged in a ministry that I perform for the Lord? You say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, an, I'm, I'm here at church, right? I, I, I show up as much as I can on Wednesday nights for gospel to every home. I'm engaged in personal ministry. This is a probing question, right? See, in verses 14 through 16, we see that Paul encourages the church in Rome to find a gospel purpose in their lives and to engage in personal ministry. Let's look at verse number 14. He says, my brothers and my sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you are also full of goodness. I love this. It's right after he spent like two chapters saying, you guys are a bunch of preferential driven, sometimes a little bit racist people. But he's like, I'm, I'm convinced that you're full of goodness. Why? Because of Christ that's in you, right? And he says, I am convinced that you are filled with all knowledge and that you are able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace that is given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. God's purpose, God's plan, his desire is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So one thing that's striking throughout this entire passage that we're going to see is just how personalized uh, Paul, uh, Paul has such a personal tone in this passage. I mean, in, in this passage here, it gets a whole lot more personal than it has for a long time through the book of Romans. Paul is taking all that he has said in Romans, and now he's applying it to himself. In verse number 15, he says, there was grace that was given to him by God for the ministry. He says it was, verse number 16, he talks about his offering, his work for God in verse number 17. And then he talks about his aim and his ambition in verse number 20. And you may look at that and say, that's great for Paul. And he did a bang up job with that too. He lived a life well lived. He's the goat of missionaries. He planted churches all over the place. He preached from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, which we're going to see in just a few moments. But what does that have to do with me? I'm not Paul. And you're absolutely right. 
But did you catch what the verse said in our text? Paul says to Rome that he's convinced that the people in the church in Rome were filled with the very same goodness, the very same knowledge, and the very same ability to instruct one another. Paul noted that the people in Rome were filled with the ability to make a gospel difference. Paul noted that the people were, and he was encouraging them to find their own personal ministry, their own calling, their own personal mission to know Christ and to make him known among the people that he, they lived with in the world. And so let me ask you this question, the same as Paul. How are you making Christ known in the circle of influence that you have in your life right now? Because this just isn't something for a person who's got a seminary degree on their wall or ordination papers somewhere filed away. This is a call for every one of us. How, have I, how am I engaging in a personal ministry? Do I see my life? Do I see my career? Do I see my family? Do I see all of those as opportunities to engage in personal ministry? That's what gives our life purpose. What platforms do you have in your life to use to point people to Jesus Christ? He says, I have very confidence of the fact that God has given you exactly what you need. And here's what he's saying. If you know Jesus, if you know Jesus, you have a responsibility and a commission from Jesus himself to help others know him too. It's not an option. It's a command. And I think the American church has done a real great disservice to people in church today because what we've done is we've professionalized ministry. We, we've done that to the point that worship in church life has become more like a, a spectator sport. We come, we watch the people that are professionals on the stage do their thing, and we go home feeling like, okay, I've pleased God. But what God says is for us to find a personal ministry and to get involved in it. See, because worship and Christianity and this Christian life is not some commodity to consume. It's an all hands on deck, all people, all players on the field mission where everyone contributes and everyone has a part. Has a part. See, the role of the church is to be a place where we are equipped for ministry. Paul told Timothy as a young pastor that his job description was to use the word of God to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. Not just be somebody who's paid to do all the work while everybody else watches. And look, I, I get it. It's easier that other way, right? Come to church, put in my money in the plate, let the church handle the ministry. It's definitely easier. And, and you, can build, you can build a big church that way. The problem is, it's not biblical. It's just not biblical that way. So let me ask you a question. What is your personal ministry that you know that God has called you to? Have you looked for that? Have you found that? What are you doing right now through your life to make Jesus known where he has not been known? Where are you pouring Jesus into somebody else's life and are you fulfilling the call of Christ to make disciples as you go? Because being a Christian isn't just about coming to church. Being a Christian is about making Jesus known. So the first question we see here, and Paul said it right there to Rome. He said, look, you all have everything you need at your disposal to fulfill the call of living on mission. And church, Graceway, we do too. Because we have the gospel, we have the spirit of God living inside of us. How are we engaging in personal mission? Here's the, here's the easiest way to say, Pastor, I don't even know how to get started. I, I, I'm, I'm a shy person. I'm introverted. I'm tired. I'm really busy. I don't know how to engage in personal ministry. Here's a very easy way to start assessing things. Every day, wake up and say, what can I do today to help bring someone one step closer to Jesus? 
just bring Jesus into their mind, into their thought life. That's the way we develop a personal ministry. How can I help bring someone one step closer to Christ? The second question that we have is, is it really my desire to glorify God with my life? A lot of times the reason that we don't, we struggle or we find excuses not to have a personal ministry is because we're not really desiring to glorify God with our lives. The question really strikes at the heart of the matter for most people trying to figure out what life is really supposed to be about. Because what are we told from the moment we're born, the moment we enter school? You know, what are you going to do? What kind of job are you going to get? How much money are you going to make to have a good life, to get the big house, to get the nice car, to have the pretty family? All those things. It's all about what are you going to do to glorify who? Glorify myself. Or glorify the American dream or the concept of what a successful person looks like in our culture. Especially in this fast-paced, consumeristic, American-dream-driven, social media-influenced, celebrity-obsessed society. This is a question with roots that go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. See, when we see why we're created in the first place. Why did God create us in the first place? Well, in Genesis 1, we see that God sits down in the, in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have this discussion in Genesis 1. It says, let us make man in our image. And the context is they're creating all of the world, the heavens, the earth, the stars, the animals, the fish, everything. And he says, let's do something different with this next one on day six. Let's make this next creation in our very image, in an image that we can have fellowship with, in an image that they will worship us. Folks, what we need to realize is I'm not just a higher class of animal. I am a handcrafted masterpiece of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are different. We have an eternal soul that will live on. And we have a different purpose than everything else. And, and, and here's the difference. The Bible says all of heaven displays the glory of God and the handiwork of God. But what God gives man a choice to do is to glorify him or not. We're the only ones who get that choice. If we don't praise him, the Bible says, the rocks will cry out in our place. The trees will cry out in our place. Every other piece of creation is in total subservience. They don't have a choice but to obey the creator. He only gave us the, the ability to disobey. And what do we do most of the time with that, that ability? We disobey. So the question we have to ask, and this is the question that Paul gives us here, is am I really willing Am I really willing to glorify God with my life? Look at verse number 17. Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. <laughs> For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, by the power of God's spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium. My aim is to preach the gospel where it has not been named so that I would not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This passage is an echo of what Paul has already said numerous times in Romans and in other passages throughout the New Testament. If you remember Paul's testimony, all the way back in chapter 1 when we first started, what did he say? He told us about a time when he wasn't living to glorify God right? He was a highly educated elite. He was completely legalistic. He was a Pharisee. He had the world by the tail, man. He was a Jewish citizen and a high-ranking citizen at that. He was a Roman citizen and well-respected in the Roman uh, elite as well. But he was so blinded by that that in Acts, he was there watching and cheering when Stephen, the first martyr, was put to death. And he held the man's coat as a 
token or as a trophy of the good things that he had done by snuffing out Christianity. He made a name for himself by hunting down Christians and bringing Christians to his sense of justice. And he was so caught up in that life that God had to literally knock him down on the road to Damascus to see him and to see that God had a different purpose for bringing him glory. Now in our text, we see that Paul takes absolutely no credit for the work of God through his ministry. Here's a guy that could tell you all the degrees he had. Here's a guy who could tell you all the things he's done and use everything that he could at his disposal to tell you how great Paul is. But here's what Paul says. He said, I don't count my life for anything if Jesus is not in it. And he said this in verse number, in verse number 17 again. What did he say? Therefore I have no, or I have reason to boast in Christ regarding what pertains to God because I would not dare say anything except what Christ has done through me. Here's a man who had every reason to glorify himself, but he chose a better path. He chose to glorify God in everything that he did. And it didn't lead to a life of comfort. It didn't lead to a life of, of a whole lot of money. Man made tents to make money to fund his missionary journeys. It led him to prison. It led him to execution. But he said, my life is worth more when it's surrendered to Jesus Christ. As I looked at that portion this week, I was hit hard by this question. Am I really living to glorify Christ? See, for, easy, for me, it's probably easy to say, how can I not be? I'm a preacher. Like, I have been my whole adult life. Am I, I, yeah, if anybody's living to glorify Christ, isn't it, isn't it me? But here's the thing, it's tragically possible to live your whole life talking about Jesus, but never really bringing him glory in it. Paul's desire was to glorify Christ and to make Christ known everywhere he went. And he saw that Old Testament verse from Isaiah 52, 15, which is actually our text right here when he says this in verse 22, when he says, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. See, Paul understood what we struggle to understand many times. Is that life is not about making a name for yourself. It's about, making your, it's about making yourself about the only name that matters. And that's Christ. So the question is, are we really living our lives to glorify God? Or is it more set on seeking to satisfy myself? The third question. Is am I willing to let God set my life's agenda? Am I willing to let God set my life's agenda? See, the, the funny thing about living on mission is that even when we're seeking to minister and we're dedicated to glorifying Jesus and everything, he still has this way of uprooting your life and making it real interesting. There is no journey and there is no adventure like serving Jesus. There really isn't. He has this way of just taking what you think is going good and being like, oh yeah, we're going to go over this way now. That's going to be fun. Paul saw this happen according to our text. Look at verse number 22. He says this, all those travels that he had, all those things he's been talking about, this is why I've been prevented many times from coming to you in Rome. But now I, I, I no longer have any work to do in these regions and I have strongly desired for many years to come to you. So whenever I travel to Spain, I hope to see you when I pass through and to be assisted by you for my journey there. Once I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Right now I'm traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints and because Macedonia and Achaia uh, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased and indeed are indebted to them for if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they are obligated to minister to them in spiritual needs or in material needs. 
So when I have finished this and safely delivered the funds to them, I'll visit you on the way to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the joy of the Lord or in the blessing of the Lord. See, here's the thing. Paul was called to travel and to plant churches and he was very strategic in this mission. And one of the things that he wanted to do, he's like, if I'm going to travel, if I'm going to plant churches, I'm going to go to the biggest and most influential cities. This isn't because Paul was some like city slicker that looked down on rural ministry or just normal everyday kind of people. But his thought was, if there could be a gospel hub in every major city in the known world, then the gospel would go out from those hubs through the world at a faster rate. So he said, I want to work in the big cities, the big urban areas. And Paul was so urban-minded that he always wanted to go to Rome because, I mean, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, right? Rome was the city. It was the hub of everything in the world at that period of time. But so many times Paul's ministry, in Paul's ministry, he notes that his plans were changed. He wanted to get to Rome so many times, but God sent him in different directions and God had other plans. And now he says here in our text, my work is finished. I've gone just about everywhere I can possibly go except for Spain. And on my way to Spain, I'm going to stop by and I'm going to see you there in Rome. Not because you need another church, you're doing well, but I want to spend time with you. I want to see Rome. I want to see the work that's being done there. He's gone just about everywhere he can go. He's done everything he can do. But he has one more stop to make. And where is that? He's got to go to Jerusalem. He's going to go into Jerusalem. And he's going to deliver this love offering. That all of the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia. They took this love offering. Because in Jerusalem. Not only were they under Roman oppression. But they were also under oppression by the Jewish authorities as well. And they were seeking to take them out. They couldn't get jobs. They, could, they were losing their family homes. They were losing everything. And so the Gentiles were helping to minister to them. And to help prop them up. And so Paul was sent back to do that. And here's, here's the thing about Paul. Um, most people would step back and say, you know what, Paul? You've lived a long life, man. You've, you've, done, you've done a lot of work. Why don't you let somebody else take that offering? And why don't you just get on to Rome and enjoy some R&R before you go on to Spain? A lot of people say, man, I've done a, quite a bit. And I'm going to step back and retire and enjoy some me time. And look, I'm not saying there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with taking Sabbath. There is nothing wrong with having seasons of rest. I'm not saying that at all. Jesus models, us, models that to us time and time again in Scripture. But what we see from both Jesus and from Paul is that neither of them ever dictated how they would serve God. There were many times, even Jesus, when God asked of him to do what he and his flesh really didn't want to do. He didn't want to go to the cross in his flesh, but what did he say? Nevertheless, if it's your will, I'll go. Paul, many times he wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go into Asia. And God said, no, you're going over in this direction. And Paul went and found that God knew what he was talking about. Here's what they knew that we often don't. All plans are subject to change with God. Because sometimes we don't design the best design. God always does. We're in the throes right now planning of life planning right now. Because we've got a senior in our house and all those questions are coming up. Where are you going to go to school? What are you going to do after school? What do you want to do? What do you want to major in? All that stuff. The stress level at the Holmes house right now is at DEFCON 3. Okay, and, and I'll tell you this. I figure out why people in their 40s, late 40s, go through midlife crises. I would like to do a study to see how many guys go through a midlife crisis to see how many of them have senior daughters around that time too. Because examining all these questions, what are you going to do with your life and having these discussions, it's making me have those discussions with myself too. We all have those discussions at periods in our life, don't we? 
What have I done with my life? What's God doing? What's God want? Here's what Paul said. Paul said, am I willing to let God uproot my schedule and my agenda and my plans? Living on mission means staying on his agenda. So the question is, are we willing to let him set the agenda? Fourth, and I know we've got to move fast, does my prayer life service my agenda or does it service his mission? Does my prayer life service my agenda or does it service his mission? Look at verses 30 through 33. We see that Paul asked the Roman believers to pray for his upcoming trip to Jerusalem. And you can see that he's got some concerns about the trip. Look at verse number 30. Now I appeal, or I'm giving you a prayer request. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in prayers to God on my behalf. Pray that, number one, I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. Pray, number two, that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And that three, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. May the peace of God be with you all. Amen. Now, if I were Paul, I'd probably be trying to convince God to change my travel plans away from Jerusalem. Okay, and the reason for that is you kind of get through his quest here that he's giving uh, to these folks in Rome. He's like, pray for me as I go to Jerusalem because I am not really a popular guy in Jerusalem. All right? Everybody in Jerusalem is angry with Paul and they want his head. The unbelievers in Jerusalem, the ones who are Jewish, like Jewish through and through, and they've denied Christ, they hate Paul like all they can because he's like the elite guy that was on their side that all of a sudden was a turncoat. So he's a traitor to them and they want him dead. They chased him out of Jerusalem before he got away and now they really want him dead. He's, his, his poster is probably up all over the city when he goes in there and he's like, I get to go back into that. That's going to be fun. On the other end, there are the, Jew, there are the believers there in Jerusalem that before Paul became a Christian, he had probably had a part in seeing his fam- those fam- people's family members put to death. I mean, that's an interesting potluck, isn't it? Sitting down to break bread, and here's Paul. You sit down, hey, what's your name? Well, my name is, you know, Justice. He's like, oh, really? I think I've seen you somewhere. Yeah, you saw me at the trial uh, when, uh, when you brought my husband in, and he was killed because he was a Christian. Really glad things are working out for you, Paul. So it's a very awkward moment for him because some of the Jews that were believers, the church at Jerusalem had a hard time looking at Paul, knowing his past. So he's going into Jerusalem knowing, man, this could be rough, right? And so he says, I just pray that I can get in and out of Jerusalem and safely and intact. And I'm really looking forward to resting and finding some refreshing in Rome. And if I'm Paul, I'm saying, could you just pray that somebody else along the way would say, hey, man, let me take that offering from you and you go on over to Rome. Could you just pray for that? No, here's what he's saying. Pray that I'm rescued because he knows something's going to happen. And he says, pray that the believers there will receive me well, and that forgiveness would reign. And this got me thinking. When I pray, what's my goal? What's my goal when I pray? Is it for God to come around to my agenda and my desires, or is it for me to come around to his? Ask that of yourself. When I pray, am I spending most of my time trying to convince God of what he needs to do for me? Or am I trying to pray to hear God's voice and tell me, I'm going to do it my way and it's going to be the best way and I'm going to be right there with you through the whole thing. Am I praying to hear God's voice tell me, I'm here. See, living on mission requires us to put our agenda on the table and let Jesus set it. 
How much of my prayer time is spent trying to convince God of what I want and what I need instead of trying to hear me, hear him tell me what he already knows I need. See, there's a reason that when the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, when they came to Jesus and he said, you start with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come and your will be done. Because that needs to be our first concern. But a lot of times we come wanting our kingdom and our will. So living on mission means praying on mission as well. See, prayer life that is focused on knowing what God wants rather than making God know what I want. And that's what leads me to the last thing as we close out this morning. Am I truly willing to accept how God sees fit to use my life? Am I truly willing to accept how God sees fit to use my life? And this is a question that we will struggle with every single moment. Our entire relationship until we see Christ one day. See, the book of Acts tells us what's going to happen when Paul gets to Jerusalem. We don't get to see it in Romans. But if you go over to Acts, beginning in Acts chapter 21 and reading all the way through the end of the book in Acts chapter 28, you're going to see what happens when Paul goes to Jerusalem like he's talking about here in Romans. Each one of these prayer requests were answered that he had. Remember the prayer requests. Uh, protect me from the guys who hate me in the Jewish, in the, in the, in the, in the synagogues and in the temples. Uh, I pray that it won't be too awkward with the believers when I get there and I pray that I get to come to you, right? He's going to answer all three of these. The first one, he says, pray that I'll be acceptable to the saints. When Paul arrives in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 21 says that he met with the elders of the church and he gave them the offering from the Gentiles, which led to this huge celebration and this huge outpouring of praise from the church there. But then the elders of the church tell Paul that there's some of the Jewish believers who are still angry with you because they heard that if you've been preaching to the Gentiles, you've been telling them that they don't need to be circumcised and they don't have to follow the Jewish feasts. You're telling them that those are all just cultural things now and that God's completed the law. All those things that we talked about in chapter 14 for the past couple of weeks. He's like, they're still mad at you because of these disputed matters. And it would go far if you would just sit down and talk with them and maybe even, you know, get with them and go spend some time with them and hear them out and show them that you're not a heretic and that you're not trying to uproot their heritage. So Paul goes to the temple the next day to meet with these guys. And then here's where we see the, 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 the rescue from the unbelievers. When he's in the temple... Some of the Pharisees are also in the temple and the scribes and they see Paul and they recognize him and they say, there he is, we've got to get him. And they start getting everybody in the temple mad and they basically say, there's a heretic and he's defying God in God's very house. And so a riot breaks out in the temple and they all gather around Paul and they begin beating him and beating him and beating him. And if it weren't for the Roman guard having been there, stationed there, Paul would have probably died at the hand of those people. The Roman guard comes in and they take him and they take him away and they rescue him from the unbelievers. Paul is taken into custody and then he stands before the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish court, and he begins to tell the gospel to them and they get mad again and another riot breaks out and again, he has to be taken into custody by the Romans and here's where Paul says this. He says, look, I'm a Roman citizen as well, so I need to be heard by a Roman court. And so he's taken before Felix and before Agrippa and he gives the gospel. And each time he's being passed on and passed on and passed on. And remember that third prayer request? The third prayer request by Paul was, I want to go to Rome. I hope I get to go to Rome and spend some time with them. And here's how God answered that request. After talking with Felix and after talking with Agrippa, finally Agrippa says, I think you need to go and you need to be tried before Caesar. So all of a sudden, Paul is going to be able to go to Rome, but he's going to be coming, as the Bible says, as an ambassador in bonds. 
Not the way he had envisioned, right? Not the way he had thought things should go. His prayers were probably like, hey man, I'd like to be able to get in and get out without having to get beaten up. I'd like to be rescued. He didn't expect for that rescue to be at the hands of a Roman soldier that would take him into custody and then eventually take him into custody in Rome. And even his trip to Rome, his trip to, his trip to Rome involved a shipwreck being bitten by a snake on that island by a viper. It involved all kinds of things and it involved finally getting to Rome under custody and being put under house arrest for two years and then eventually he loses his life crucified upside down for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the question again. Am I truly willing? And here's what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Later on, in a letter from prison to Rome, uh, from prison in Rome while he's in prison, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is closed and I have fought the good fight. I finished the race and I've kept the faith. There is therefore now reserved for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who love his appearing. Now there's a guy who had come to grips with how Jesus chose to use his life. He said, I'm being poured out as an offering for Christ's glory. So as we close out, let me ask you this question. Are you okay with Jesus just pouring you out as he sees fit? You've got this life to live. Every drop of your life is contained in his hand. Are you okay with how God chooses to pour it out? What if that pouring out is painful? What if that pouring is quicker than you want it to be? Huh? What if you had big plans for your life and it gets cut short by illness or tragedy? What if that pouring involves tears and shattered dreams? What if that Pouring involves plans that get changed and you have no idea how to make sense of it. What if that pouring involves being misunderstood in a system that only values self-preservation and creature comfort while you're called to live your life completely poured out for him and seek his glory? See, the gospel calls us to living on mission and that requires living in submission to his design and plan to know Jesus and make him known at all costs. So what's the result of all this? What's the result of being poured out like this? It's an opportunity to approach death victoriously. If you look at 2 Timothy and what he said, he says, Look, I've been poured out as a drink offering. My life stopped being my own the moment I met him in Damas on Damascus Road. And he said, As I've been poured out, there's been pain, there's been tears, there's been sorrow. But you know what? I'm approaching death victoriously. Paul was going out a fighter in the last round. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished my course and I've kept the faith like a runner breaking the tape in a dead sprint. We have the opportunity to approach the end of life knowing that we've laid it all out for an eternal purpose. But only if we seize the opportunity through our life to do that. We also have a crown of eternal royalty when we arrive at home like verse number 8 says. He says, there's a crown of righteousness that's laid up for me. England just saw someone, saw a woman who wore the crown longer than anyone, any other royal ever has. And the beautiful thing about what she said was, man, I just want to lay that crown down at Jesus' feet. What perspective are we living our life in? Is it eternal 
Or is it just in the here and now? As we bow our head and as we close our eyes this morning, I just want to ask you those questions. Are you okay with Jesus pouring you out? I'll be honest, for me lately, the way I've been seeing Jesus pouring me out, I'm like, man, could you pour me in a different direction? Or could you, you know, change the way you're pouring a little bit? The truth is, God knows what he's doing. God is glorified in everything that he does. What he wants is he wants some people like Paul who will stand up and say, I've been given this life by the creator. I don't want to live it and hijack it just for myself. I need to live it for him. Is that you? Heavenly Father, as we bow in your house, this house that exists for your glory, I pray that we would live our life for it. I pray this morning that you would speak to us in this time of invitation and move in it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.